Hey, chaps. Over the weekend, I was just thinking through um, a few things about community, placemaking, uh, mission, purpose. You know, this the whole journey we've been on of talking about finding your people and your place. And my wife and I were chatting with um, a couple of friends and we were just, you know, telling each other our, our stories of how we met and where we got to where we are. And uh, both us and the other couple had done some form of mission school or, you know, mission community, if you want to call it that. And, uh, you know, it just got me thinking to this point of like, wow, like that was an amazing time. You know, same with college, right? You can throw a college into this. You can throw sports into this. If you were a, uh, even a, a semi um, professional, need my coffee. Even if you were a semi professional sports player, call it even high school because you weren't paying your own way, right? So, all of these things mission, sports, college was the most community we've ever felt in our lives. Why? Because we lived intensely in the thing that was giving us meaning. The problem of all mission work, the problem of all sports, starving artists, starving sportsmen, uh, the problem is economy, right? It's constantly taking outside resources to keep this thing going. They're not self-sustaining. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, just wait till you get to the real world. Wait till you finish college. Wait till you stop playing sport. Wait till you, you know, uh, starve on the mission base and have to go get a job and hit the real world like the rest of us. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong from the point of view of you, you know, God, I don't think God intended for us to not be self-sustaining, to not be able to carry something on because of economic lack. Right. So it just got me thinking of like, wow, like, yeah, some of the most purposeful, meaningful things we've ever been in have not been economically self-sustaining. And so what we're trying to figure out is this thing of like, all right, we want a missional community. We want meaning and belonging and contribution to a hierarchy, to a mission that we, we, you know, absolutely would die for uh, with people that we respect. But at the same time, we want economic viability. We want a measure of prosperity, of wealth, of uh, even survival. You know, I talk about the three survival, slavery, and significance economies. Even a survival economy, like, yeah, I can survive without being a pest to anyone else. So just thinking along those lines, a lot of churches will preach you know, you look at how you set up a church and it's like, yeah, we'll have Sunday meetings. Maybe we'll have uh, a midweek prayer meeting or a midweek home group. And that's all great stuff. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we've got, we've got a mission guys. We've got community, you know, get people saved, uh, you know, have a nice community, tap each other on the back, uh, you know, be social, which is good things. It's all great things. But uh, I was just reading a great thread before I got on from uh, eighth century wood chipper, the Bonnie face option. What a boss. Follow him on Twitter. But where he was just saying the point of the gospel is not Gnostic. It's not this 
get saved at all costs, you know, uh, and that's it. The world's going to burn. Jesus, please come back and help us. Oh Lord. And you know, cause that's the whole thing is like, if you get someone saved, you shoot them in the head and they'll go to heaven and they're done. No, the gospel is for this earth, right? The, the gospel is the kingdom of God on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said uh, when he was ascending into heaven, he said, it's better that I leave. It's better that I leave, right? You ha- we have to have that burned on our hearts because so many guys are like, yo, man, I'm just praying for Jesus to come back. And it's like, you're disobeying Jesus. Jesus says it's better that I leave, that the Holy Spirit may come and empower you to extend the kingdom. Uh, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given me. I now uh, commission you to go out, disciple the nations, teaching them to obey Jesus. Uh, what does that look like? It, it looks like, you know, this is the dominion mandate, right? It looks like us building communities, right? It looks like us building, because like, and this is where I'm getting into the whole eight ways to work thing. Not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody is a, a traveling missionary, a traveling preacher. You know, not every, like, not every guy is going to be like, yep, I'm happy to just trust God, see where, see where he takes me and head out. You know, some of us are called to be settlers. Some of us are called to be builders. Some of us are called uh, to, to place make and make a place that is a ministry, right? And this is a really cool thing, right? Uh, the ministry of the sword. I th- where is it where everyone's like, oh, Hebrews 13. I think it's like, you've got to submit to the government, submit to the sword. So in that passage, it says the he who bears the sword is a minister of God, right? So that's a ministry is to be in government, right? To be a sheriff, to be a policeman, to be a judge, to be a local official, uh, believe it or not, is a full-time ministry. You are in the ministry right? There's many ways to look at things like that. It says in Proverbs uh, that it is a blessing for the farmer to sell his grain, or it's like a a righteous farmer sells his grain. It's like, okay, like that's a righteous calling to grow and sell grain. Um, You know, it's, it's this, this Gnosticism that we have to throw aside where either, uh, you know, the professional Christian is just the church guy and we're just waiting on, on Jesus to come back and save us from this hell. Uh, or the other side of this is, yep, I'm, I'm, the, min, uh, I'm the missionary. I'm the full-time guy. I'm going to go do it, but everyone else has to pay me and I'm not going to work. I'm not going to, I'm just going to go, you know, trust Jesus, but also guilt trip everybody to give me money. You know, we've got to have this tension of, all right, Lord, what have you made me to do? What is my calling? my talents, my passions. And and that's easy chaps. You know, a lot of guys get so hung up on what has God called me to do? It's like, it's so easy. A man makes a way in his heart. He plans a way in his heart. The Lord directs his steps. God has given you a heart. He's giving you a head, right? To be able to, with logic and emotion, be like, all right, I'm really good at this. I love this. I really like the people involved with this. I was just like, okay, stop consuming it. Stop being a consumer of the thing and start exercising it to serve people. You know, there's a great quote. I can't remember who said it, but the guy was like, a Christian shoemaker does not show that he's a Christian by stitching crosses in the shoes. He shows he's a Christian shoemaker by making excellent shoes. You know, so excellence in our work that God has called us to do. And so it's a really cool tool I've just been thinking of for a while and, and playing around. It's probably, you know, me just aggregating a ton of different uh, patterns and models I've seen all over the place. But I just got really into thinking, 
what are all the different forms of work? You know, if, if we as Christians are called to be work, to work our father's business, we see what we see our father, we work, do what we see our father doing. What is it? We're not all going to be doing the same thing because God made us uniquely, right? With, with a unique calling, a unique gifting. Uh, Proverbs says a man's gift makes room for him and brings them before great men. So a great thing here as well is there's not going to be competition anxiety in God's kingdom, right? It's like, oh, I'm the, I'm the this, and I, you know, I have to compete. It's like, no, like whatever your gift is, it'll make room for you and bring you before great men. What's that talking about? Honor within a hierarchy, honor within a community. And so one of the ways we get honor uh, is through mastery mastering our talents and our passions. Um, so with this eight ways to work thing, I'm just going to uh, quickly go through them. I should have written this down before, but alas, welcome to my, on the winging it as we go. So number one is the visionary. And I say number one, just because it's the most, from most conceptual to, to practical. So visionary um, and the visionary, what is visionary work? Like a lot of guys don't understand that, Vision is actually a work, right? So if you look at, at Elon, he's an easy example. Uh, Steve Jobs, easy example. Visionaries set frame, right? They're all about a new vision, a, a new like a new reality, right? A vision isn't a vision if it's already there. That's sight. That's, oh yeah, it's already there. You don't need a visionary, right? But if someone says, yep, we're going to land a man on Mars because X, Y, Z, it's like he's just created a vision that's not there. And is he compelling enough to give people hope that it can actually happen? Um, so one of the things for a vision work is giving people hope. You know, a lot of, a lot of pastors uh, exercise this um, work of giving people hope, right? Another one is bravery. So bravery is an issue for, a, for a, a leader. A lot of times we, you know, that's what we loved about the Donald. He's not a visionary. He's, we'll get to Donald later, but he displays bravery. And so everyone who follows him is like, oh my gosh, he's brave. I can be brave. You know, and that's one of the key works of a visionary is to display bravery to the people in his organization or who are following him or whatever. So um, another one for the visionary is, well, let, let me reframe that for the visionary. It's destination. Um, is their big thing. It's like, where are we going? This is where we're going. We're not there. That's where we're going. All right. So, so destination, which is a form of hope. We're hoping for something. Bravery. A lot of people, uh, you know, love visionaries, dreams and destinations until they see the visionary shrink away as a coward, right? No one follows a coward. Um, and one of the biggest qualifications for leadership is bravery. You know, we see that in the Bible, every time uh, someone, especially in the Old Testament, someone uh, takes on a leadership role, the Lord says to them, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Do not fear. I'm with you. Take courage. I'm with you. Do not fear. Like one of the biggest issues for the Lord with his leaders is bravery, right? They don't want them shrinking away. And this is where we get, I'm just going to take an aside here, a little rabbit trail back to morality and economy. So this is the third thing of the, so destination, bravery, morality, right? Or morale. So, so getting morale up, 
getting people like, yeah, we can do this. We can do this thing. God is for us. God is with us. Morality is one of the weapons of our warfare. The moment you feel like things are hopeless, you cut and run. You, you lose all your principles. You lose all your faithfulness. You lose all your honor. You know, when people retreat in a battle, it's not just them running for their lives. They're, they're abandoning their mates. They're giving up their mates for dead. They're giving up the cause. You know, these, these very real uh, switch of fear. So the opposite of morality, of being a moral man, making moral decisions, it's because I have hope and bravery. The opposite of morality is, dem is demoralization. I am demoralized. Demoralized men flee from the enemy. Demoralized men drop all standards. Demoralized men don't try. They don't keep up the standards of a moral man. Um, so let's jump in. So that's the visionary. Um, let's jump into the next one is the strategist. So strategists, if a visionary is all about destination, this is where we're going. A strategist is all about direction. It's like, okay, that's where we're going. So we're going to Mars. Here's how we're going to do it. So we're going to build this, this, and this. We need these systems. We need to build this, this, and this. Here's the blueprints. You know, if a visionary comes along and says, here's a huge skyscraper I want to build. It's going to be the most magnificent skyscraper. Then a strategist is going to come along, an architect, and say, all right, here's the plans. Here's the blueprint. Here's how much resources and materials we'll need. Uh, here's the contractors and the project managers we'll need. He, uh, a strategist is all about direction. It's like, okay, I see the destination. I will direct you to the destination. Strategists are also great analysts, right? They're good at seeing patterns, at spotting unseen patterns, and then making them seen to people. That's uh, strategic work. It's work to plan a building. It's work to analyze a system that no one else can see or to come up with a system, right? It's the whole thing of carrying buckets of water from the river to the village. And then a strategist goes, I bet we could put a pipe from the river to the village. That's the strategic work. It's a strategist, right? The next uh, one we have is the developer. Now the developer, classic developer is the Donald, right? Developers are all about delegation. They're all about getting stuff done. They're all about momentum, right? Recruiting, promoting, momentum. They're great uh, man managers. They're great man gatherers, great networkers. You know, you just think about getting crap done. You're thinking about a developer, right? And again, done is better than perfect, right? Sure, they'll, they'll, as they get more and more skillful and get better people on their team, their things will be very excellent. But they're often just a momentum guy, a bull in a china shop, right? They, they just get things done. It's like, hey, I've got 12 projects. I need a guy to get them done. I'm done. But I'm going to do it alone. He's going to have a team. So that's how you distinguish him from later on, we'll go down to a technician, right? Who's someone who's very good Let's jump down to a technician. This will be one of our next ones. So a technician or a specialist, right, is someone who is superbly masterful, superbly focused, superbly practical in one area, in a very, very practical area. You know that there's a saying that says, if you want something done right, do it yourself. That's a specialist talking, right, or a technician, whatever, you, whatever I will label this thing right? Let me call it a technician because it's technical work. They're brilliant at technical 
things, right? And this is where often uh, you'll have a high-level technician who gets things so, he's so brilliant at doing his job that people will be like, oh, this guy must be a developer. Let's put a project on him. And now he becomes a project manager. And instead of delegating to everybody else, he's trying to do everything himself and burns out and wants to return back to his previous job as a technician. All right, then we have um, a diplomat. And a diplomat is all about connection, reconciliation, the community, the greasing of everybody on board and making sure everyone gets along, right? So one of my uh, very good friends is a retired cop, total diplomat, right? He, he was definitely not the enforcer cop. He was the good guy cop, you know, make friends with everybody, preemptive policing, you know, the whole thing of like, hey, man, everybody's on the same, like, just disarm, dis defuse everything, like superb at arriving on a scene, de-escalating everything. And at the end of it, everyone's like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Like everything's okay. And it's like, the dude just makes people like him. He makes people like each other. There's oil, like he'll tell stories. He'll remember this guy's name the next time he sees him. And it's like, he'll invite this guy over for, for a barbecue and be like, you know, where did you meet this guy? Oh, no, I just found him over here. And it's like, where did you meet this guy? Oh, yeah, I found him over there. And it's like, he's so also a superb networker, like the developer. But from a connection standpoint, from very much a, I want connection, I want re reconciliation. And they're great in communities. Because if you have a high mission, high developer, high, you know, strategic mission, we're going super hard at the mission, there's going to be a lot of friction. There's going to be a lot of just heat that comes with hard work. And so the, the diplomat comes in and he's like, guys, let's, let's, keep the, let's keep the oil between the cogs. And it's, it's work, right? Diplomat, diplomatic work. On a, obviously on a high level scale, you get a real job called diplomat. And so to be a diplomat means to represent the mission or the vision or the organization to people who you're trying to bring on board or you're trying to trade with or you're trying to negotiate with, right? There's very much, it's, it's understanding people, a very good people person will be a diplomat. Next one is an administrator, right? So administrative work. The thing about an administrator is control, right? You often... <laughs> I worked for a guy who was a high-level administrator, like really brilliant, like controlling costs, controlling processes, controlling systems. You know, so if a visionary says, hey, we ought to have a community here that has water. I don't know, but we can have water here. So the strategist is like, yep, we can do a pipe from the river to here, have a little tower, and we have water. They get the developer along, hey, man, here's the blueprints, build the thing. The developer gets a bunch of technicians and laborers. And they build the tower, build the pipe, get it all going. They then get an administrator to control the system, right? So administrators are great at systems management, system control. They will point out a problem. Like they'll be like, hey, it's leaking. The pipe is leaking. And like the visionary is like, dude, I don't care that the pipe's leaking. I don't like you. Stop, stop bailing on my like dreams. And it's like, no, dude, the pipe's leaking. That's an administrator. Administrators are great at spotting leaks in a system. They're great at controlling a system. They're great at making sure the trains run on time, the water towers remain going. Like they crave responsibility. They love responsibility. 
They love having a big stick and protecting the system. That's administrative work. And then we've got the technician. And then, am I missing someone? Ah, oh, the artist. So artistic work, right? So the artist is all about aesthetics, attraction, and atmosphere, right? So a lot of us, we especially as men, we don't understand the, the value of beauty, the value of artistic work, right? Because unfortunately, a lot of our modern art is trash. It's the, it's ungodly trash, but it creates a new an emotion, right? It creates an emotion of disgust or it creates an emotion of dread or despair. The artist is doing his work, right? So an artist knows how to manipulate emotions, manipulate atmospheres to serve the mission or, or the organization or the community or, or whatever you're going for. And so that's artistic work, right? You can package things in a way that is beautiful and attractive. You can bring an atmosphere to a way that people enjoy being there. Artistic work is very important and valuable to a vision, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example here with Tesla. Tesla is not a car company. That's not their vision. Their vision is to re, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To like revolutionize the energy industry through solar energy and batteries. Like that is their actual vision, if you want to call it that. The strategist was probably like, all right, guys, the way we'll get this is by having a super beautiful car that people like the car so much, great battery technology. You know, everyone uses a car. So that's the way we're going to sneak this mission into the mainstream. The artists are the dudes who designed the really beautiful car, right? That's if they'd come out with an ugly ass Prius, that's why the Prius sucks. It looks crap, right? There was bad artists. Okay. Next is the laborer. So that's our last guy. Eight, eight ways to work labor work, right? So labor work is time, presence and energy. You know, you think of any menial uh, work you've ever done, you know, you had to be there between this time and this time. It was your presence, right? So it's like, what, you know, why am I working this job? It's like, well, because if no one's there, the thing can't happen, right? You know, I'm thinking of like a shopkeeper. Like if you don't stay there waiting, and obviously a strategist will come along and be like, we can automate all this and take the person away. But I mean, for the majority of people, it's like, no, you need someone manning the booth, right? That's labor work. Uh, and then energy, you know, as well. It's like if a developer needs a ton of stuff done, we need to tear down a house. It's like, he's not going to do it on his own because he's got 20 other things on his plate he's doing. He's going to hire guys to come and be the hands and feet for him, right? Laborers. And the Bible says the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few. There's tons of work to be done, but we need people's energy and presence and time. So that's labor. It's the simplest of them all. Uh, you know, and uh, you think about the quote, a labor of love. You know, often uh, all of us will in, uh, will participate in labor work for things that we really love doing. So, for instance, with our garden, it's very labor intensive, but we love it. You know, so it's a labor of love. So with these eight uh, ways to work, we want to develop mastery, right? So I'm not an administrator. Like that's the furthest thing from, you know, a pain point in my life and marriage is taxes. 
it's an administrative thing, right? That I need to either offload to someone else or gain somehow uh, at least a floating level of survivability. But with these things, with each of these ways to work, we'll have been trained in some, our parents would have pushed us into one. Uh, we would have, you know, been friends with maybe someone who rubbed off on you. And so like, we would have skill in a few of these works, right? And we'd be able to, uh, you know, pretty much be able to operate in them, but some will drain you, some will juice you, right? And you want to find the works that juice you because that's going to really just go hard at your talent, your gift that brings you before great men and makes room for you. So I just want to encourage you guys about this whole thing of community. A lot of us are seeking a community to contribute to. What are we contributing? Our gift. We contribute our gift to community. We also need economy to sustain a community. So how do we earn money? By selling or serving other people with our gifts through services and products, right? So a lot of us are struck, stuck in labor or technician or administrative work for other companies or other people when you could be building your own service or product around your gifting, the thing that you're actually pretty good at uh, and you're just for fear or for you know lack of vision, not stepping out and providing that thing to people. So yeah, bit of a, a ramble on that. I will clarify that and... Uh, put some more stuff out on the blog um, about those eight ways to work. But just to encourage you guys to leave you with something to think about, think about what work, what type of work, not just like, oh yeah, you know, I want to work for a company that gives me a hundred grand a year and I have 40 hours a week, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 not that type of work. What type of work do I want to engage in? Like I'm really good at providing frame, at providing vision, at providing destination. I want to do that for work. How do I make that into a service, into a product? I'm really good at art, at drawing things, at designing things. I make a really beautiful this. How do I sell that? How do I make that into something that I can actually serve people with as a product or service? You know, I, I'll bring up that, that proverb again. A righteous man sells his grain. You know, a lot of guys think that as a Christian, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm ripping people off or I'm grifting. If I sell my talent or my gift to other people, it's like, dude, if you're a gifted farmer, you sell at market prices or higher if you've got good produce and, and an amazing yields, you know, because you're doing a service to other people. You've got to see your work. Here's the other thing. Like so many people have been bashed that their work is not real work. It's like, no chaps, your work is real. If you have faith that it's God who's made you this way to serve people with this talent or gifting. It's okay to sell it. It's okay to provide a service for money. A righteous man sells his grain. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Uh, leave some feedback. I'd love to kind of uh, really develop this, this grid. I think it could be useful for a lot of us. And uh, praise God.